Incidentally, uh, I invite you to continue to pray for Simone Cameron. Simone Cameron is the wife of Kevin Cameron, the principal of Rama. She lost her mother uh, sometime this week after a bout with cancer. And we ask that you please lift her up. Also lift up the Ammons family in a special way as uh, Brother Ammons will be funeralized, I believe, in Akron this coming Thursday. So if you will keep them in prayer, that will be greatly appreciated. Acts chapter 23, verse 12 and 13. A word says this, the next morning some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. Close your Bibles. That's all I need today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Forgive me of my sins, past, present, and future. Forgive me for not being as faithful to you as you have always been to me. And in this moment, I desire to give you thanks and to give you praise. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for the time spent here. Thank you for what you will do in the future. Thank you for saving me from dangers seen and unseen. Thank you for your spirit being in this place. It is evident. Your, your, your presence is thick in the atmosphere. Thank you for new day, oh God. Thank you for the praise and worship leader today. Thank you for the musicians. Thank you for Go University. Thank you for an opportunity to get to know you better. And Father, we pray today that we may not miss what you have for us and say that was a good word for my brother. That was a good word for my sister. I wish my cousin was here. I wish my uncle were here to hear that. No, God, I believe today that whatever word is spoken in our hearing is for us. Help us to apply it to our lives today. And, oh, God, we shall be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory. And Father, as always, if you never do another thing, my prayer is always the same. Save us into your kingdom when you shall return. In Jesus' name we do pray. Let the church say amen. Most wanted, most wanted. We've been preaching on Paul for quite a little time now. Paul has now been arrested and he is arraigned before Jewish courts. Paul is in chains. He is in prison. He is being held up. He is being brought up on charges. As this is going on, the Bible is clear to mention to us that one day, 40-plus men, co-conspirators, conspire together in some dark alley of Jerusalem and decide amongst themselves. They make a blood oath and a pact amongst themselves. We will not eat or drink until Paul is dead. In essence, either we are going to die or Paul is going to die. And this was not a regular oath or a regular promise that almost all of us are likely to renege on. In fact, the Hebrew and the Greek leads us to believe that this was such a powerful oath that these brothers called anathema on themselves. In other words, they said, let us be accursed if Paul does not die. 
let our spirits not go into heaven. May God have nothing to do with us. May we be anathematized if we do not kill Paul. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, who are these brothers? And history tells us that during this time, there was a secret and dangerous set of people called the Zealots or the Sakari. These Sakari were named for the blades or the daggers that they used to hide beneath their cloaks, with which they would use at times to assassinate people who did not protest against Roman rule. And so from time to time, these Jewish assassins, these deadly, dangerous fighters trained in warfare and trained to kill who only know bloodlust, at times they would walk into a crowded place, take out their blade, slip it from beneath their cloak, jab it into the side of somebody who was not trying to keep the Jewish traditions or the culture, kill them, cry out aloud so that the crowd would come to where they were and they would slip into the shadows. These Jewish assassins, as deadly as they were, wanted only to protect Jewish culture, Jewish heritage, and Jewish tradition. Please understand what I'm trying to say. America now has the CIA and the Navy SEALs. Russia has the KGB. Britain even now has James Bond and MI6. The Jews had the Sakari deadly assassins. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, even tells us that during this time of the Sakari and the Zealots, these people who are passionate about Jewish culture and heritage, the people lived in a perpetual state of fear. Every single day, everybody was afraid because they did not know who was going to die next. (laughs) In fact, Josephus even tells us, Pastor, that the fear of being stabbed was much worse than the calamity itself because nobody knew when their time was coming. And these Jewish assassins, known as the Sakari, said, was trying to set an example to the Jews who were not keeping Jewish counsel and traditions and the Torah and the rules that they had added on on top of the Ten Commandments. It was basically a reminder to them that unless you stand up for your Jewish culture, you will always have to look over your back and you will never know when it's your last day. Deadly assassins, the Sakari, the Zealots, meaning passionate or fiery people for their religion. These brothers could not be bribed. They could not be influenced. They could not to be coerced to go against what they have learned and the pact that they have made. Always they stayed on course. They were like a league of shadows that showed up in a moment when you were not expecting it, take their, their dagger from beneath their cloak, stab you, and slip back into the shadows. Jewish assassins, I'm not making it up. You can look on Google right now on your smartphone and look this thing up for yourself. But what is interesting is that these brothers could not be persuaded against the oath that they took. And the only person seemingly who was able to do it was Jesus. Now, you may have glossed over this in your reading of the disciples, but the word says on that day when Jesus was choosing his disciples, one of the people that he called to himself, his name was Simon the Zealot. Or Simon, a member of the Zachari. 
So it probably stands to reason that at the moment that Christ called Simon, he had a dagger beneath his cloak ready to kill anybody who was going against Jewish tradition. Maybe Jesus himself was on the list. But that's not the most interesting thing. The most interesting thing is that not only did Christ call Simon the Zealot, Christ also called Matthew the tax collector, who was a Roman sympathizer. And what's beautiful about the story is that for three and a half years, Simon did not kill Matthew. (laughs) And I think it kind of just speaks to the transforming power of God. I think it speaks to God renewing our minds and changing us. These brothers could not be persuaded, and the only person that was able to do it was Jesus himself. And how many of you know that when Jesus gets into your life, he changes your mindset, and some of the same things that you used to do yesterday, you don't even want to do anymore. I have noticed in my life, please hear me right now, that there are some people who used to drink, but God took the taste of alcohol alcohol from their lips. There are people who used to have proclivities and propensities in their life, but after coming into contact with Jesus, they are a brand new person. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Once you get into contact with Jesus, Christ should change your life. But that's not what I came here to preach today. (laughs) These zealots or these Sakari were deadly assassins, mercy, with one goal, kill off any Jew who is not keeping the traditions that we have. And these were the 40 men who were trying to kill Paul. Now, let's... What's really, really interesting is that one of them probably could have handled the job by himself. But these brothers says, we are so, we are so passionate to kill Paul. 40 of us are going to come together. In fact, 40 plus. And we're going to make sure that we kill Paul dead. Okay. Now, what's more interesting than that is that Paul is already in prison. Homeboy is already in chains. He is already locked up, clink, clink, and he cannot go anywhere. These brothers are saying that Paul is such a threat to our regime, we can't even suffer him to be alive. He's a threat to us even though he's in chains. Right now he's in prison, but he's still causing us consternation. The only way to stop Paul is to kill him dead. (laughs) If we leave him in prison, we all know the story of Paul and Silas. He'll just pray his way out. Paul can still be effective as long as he has an audience to speak and to preach to. Lives are going to be changed and people are not going to keep the Jewish ways. Even if Paul cannot speak, he can still pray and his prayers will be answered. Even if Paul doesn't have higher brain functioning, maybe we can take the handkerchiefs from off of his clothes and lay it on people and they will be healed. The only way to stop him is that we have to kill him 
dead. We've got to snatch the life out of him. We've got to expire him today. It is the only way. So these brothers, these deadly assassins, 40 plus of them, hear me now, brothers and sisters, they come together, they conspire and say, we will not eat, we will not drink until Paul is dead. Uh, 40 men against one in chains. Paul was preaching Christ so well that even while he was in the courts, Sadducees and Pharisees were getting saved. People were getting saved everywhere he went. They had no way of stopping him The only thing they could come up with, we got to get our deadliest assassins and kill him dead. They did the same thing to Jesus, mind you. They could do nothing with him. And while he was arraigned before Pontius Pilate, the chief priest conspired against the people in the crowd. Mind you, Sister White says that there were people in that crowd whom Christ had healed that day. But the chief priest persuaded them to cry out, crucify him. We have got to put him to death. Pontius Pilate said, no, we don't have to put him to death. I'll scourge him for a little while and then let him go. No, Kill him dead. It's the only way to stop what he is trying to do. Paul was such an amazing man of God. They could not allow him to stay alive. And it got me thinking about Paul this week as I I read this passage. Paul was so committed to the cause, church. Hear me right now. I desire to teach this word today. Paul was so committed to the cause and so devoted to the mission. Even in chains, he was a dangerous man. Even in trouble, he was a threat to everybody who did not serve Christ. The only way, please get me now, I'm trying to bang this nail on the head. The only way to stop him was to kill him dead. How many of us, at the moment of trouble, we almost immediately cease to be of any use to God at all? Paul's in prison, and he's more dangerous than you. How many of us, when we go through adversity, are more prone to throw up our hands and issue a white flag of surrender rather than trust in the God that we serve and the God that we claim that we love and the name by which we call ourselves Christian, a follower of God. Paul, even in chains and in prison, locked up so much so that he could not move, was more of a threat to the works of the enemy than you are. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. And I began thinking as I read this joint this week, (laughs) is my life a threat at all to the kingdom of darkness? Is my life at all as much of a threat to the devil as Paul's life was to these 40 plus deadly assassins. 
And if it is not, I would say today that I am not a real Christian. If your life is not a threat to the kingdom of Satan, don't even bother calling yourself a Christian. In fact, you are taking the name of the Lord in vain. If your life is not a threat to the enemy, oh, help me, God. Hmm. Do not claim that you are a Christian, for in truth, you are not. How is it that you can be a Christian and people in your sphere of influence, their lives are not being changed? How is it that the works of the enemy are prospering in everybody's life around you, including yours, if you say you got Christ? Oh, nobody want to say amen now. How is it that you can be filled with the Holy Ghost and the chains of Satan cannot be broken down in your life? How is it that nobody really even knows that you are a Christian? And by the way, if nobody knows that you are a Christian, you have failed already. <laughs> then I began thinking too. What if <laughs> us coming to church week in and week out has really ceased to be edifying to our souls? And what if the devil has now used the church as his biggest tool? What if now us coming to church and thinking that we are spiritually all right is actually an elaborate scheme of the devil himself to give us an illusion of holiness when we're nowhere close to God. There are so many people who come to church who feel that they are spiritually okay and they pose no threat to the enemy at all. In other words, the devil is not even worried about you. People have the nerve to claim that the devil is attacking me when half of the stuff in their life is a recourse of their own decisions. In fact, the devil would not waste his time on you because you pose no threat to what he is trying to do. He ain't even thinking about you. You know, it, it, it's so funny. Now in hip-hop culture, we have this term called haters. And every day on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook... People are posting stuff. I got to do this for my haters. My haters going to be mad at me when I make a come up. <laughs> and the fact is, everybody is saying that everybody has haters. Well, who's doing the hating and who's successful? And, 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 and the more I think about it, I think kind of hip-hop culture and urban culture has deceived all of us into thinking that we even have something that people would hate on. Now, here's the thing. The majority of people that say they have haters don't got no job in the first place. <laughs> And don't really have nothing that anybody would hate on. 
So we have self-deceived ourselves into thinking that we are better off than we really are and we are somehow a threat to other people's success. No, you're not. You have not really done anything that warrants anybody hating on you if we have to be serious about it today. Ain't nobody wasting their time thinking about you. You certainly don't have haters like Paul does. (laughs) The word says 40 deadly assassins said that we have got to take. He is a threat to us. We have got to cut him down. Ain't nobody worried about you. Okay, I hate to be rude today, but if you dropped off the face of the earth today, people will mourn for a while and the world will keep on spinning. And here's the thing, too. It happens all the time. The world usually parallels the church, or or rather, the world usually creeps into the church. It's hardly ever vice versa. What happens is this hater mentality has crept its way all the way up to the pulpit. And now we got preachers preaching the same thing. Now, let's be maybe, yeah, maybe you do have people who are threatened by you. Maybe you do have haters and all that kind of stuff. But now every preacher wants to preach the same thing. Do it for your haters. God is going to deliver you. God is going to bring you out. Your haters are going to be ashamed of you. And at the end of the day, ain't really nobody got no haters. You don't have anything worth hating on. And here's the real point I want to make today. Let's bring this thing to to a spiritual point right now. You especially don't have anything within you that the devil would hate on you for. The majority of people in the church don't have anything that the devil wants. What if me coming to church (laughs) is actually an elaborate scheme by the devil to keep my behind seated in the pews but not ever making any change? (sighs) What if church today, or no, what if the scheme of the devil is to get me to like and enjoy sermons but never open the word of God for myself? What if his plan all along is not to keep you out of church, but to push you into the church, and while you're in the church, to get you to believe that everything is all right without you fighting for your salvation? What makes Paul's life a threat to the enemy is that every time he spoke, Paul spoke with authority and the power of God. Paul said, I have determined amongst myself to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was the one who said, out of all my degrees and the letters behind my name, I count it as dung for the excellency of Christ. Paul says, I know how to be abased and to be exalted, but I have also learned in whatever situation I find myself in, I have learned to be content. Paul is the one who is seeking Christ over anybody else. So when Paul goes into a city and somebody is demon possessed, every demon and every devil is beat back with a stick. Wherever Paul is, he's making changes in people's lives. And the majority of us under the sound of my voice have not even led one person to Christ. All right. 
Okay. The, 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 the main point is, <laughs> is that the majority of us, under the sound of my voice, are not committed enough to God in order to pose a threat to the enemy. You ain't even committed enough. So why would he worry about you? I hear it all the time. Pastor, the devil is attacking my life. Yeah, that, that is true. The devil does attack your life. But he ain't attacking your life all the time. Some of the storms that you're going through and some of the trouble that you have are of your own devising. Didn't have nothing to do with the devil. Didn't have nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with the choices that you made with your life. I I looked up this week, Pastor, the FBI most wanted top 10 list. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, they have people on there who have killed and bludgeoned their families, set the house on fire. They have people on there that have planned terrorist attacks and things of that nature. It's amazing. People just do all matter of crazy things. The FBI and the CIA, Navy SEALs, they all have just a few goals. They have, uh, they're, they're there for one purpose. To protect the American people, to protect the American government, and to defend America's way of life. If anybody poses a threat to any of those three things, they go out to capture them or to kill them. This is bottom line. (laughs) But when you study the methods of the FBI, they are after the big kingpins. If they are looking for where drugs, how drugs are coming into America, they are not wasting their time on the dime bag pushers out on 105. Because what they know is, as soon as those guys get brought into the interrogation room, when they put the light on them, they're going to give up, they're going to rat on all their friends because they're not really committed to it. Ain't nothing that they're going to die for. And so they just give up. It's not really a big deal. So sometimes they'll let the dime bag pushers slide. Their main goal is to get to the big fish or the big kingpin who's calling out all the shots, who's giving all the orders and all the commands because they know he's the one. If we stop him, we can shut it all down. If we stop him, nobody else will do it anymore. He is so committed to it that he'll probably die for it because this is what he wants to do. Paul is a big fish. People in the church nowadays are the dime bag pushers out on 105. (laughs) And whatever your neighborhood is. We pose no imminent threat to the devil at all. He's after the big fish. (laughs) No miracles are happening from your prayers, mostly because you don't even pray. 
Nobody's getting healed and delivered and nothing is happening in your life because you don't claim the promises of God over your life. You really don't believe the word because if you did, when problems arise in your life, you would laugh at your issues. Say, problem, my God is bigger than you. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The devil's not really worried about the small fish, you and I. He's worried about the people that are actually making changes in the world. People who are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. People who involve themselves in ministry and are willing to serve. The people that are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. (sighs) Should I keep going? The majority of people in the church, help me, Lord, right now. I'm sorry, y'all. Serve nowhere. They will not involve themselves in any ministry in the church. How dare you call yourself a Christian and say that you are committed and you don't serve in any capacity? I know you don't want to receive it, but I'm going to say it anyway. And I may hang my hat here for a while if you keep quiet. The majority of people in the church just come to church like habitual robots each and every day, but do not really serve the kingdom of God. You aren't really committed. Your name is on the roll, but you ain't really in this thing. Let a prayer meeting be scheduled. You're nowhere to be found. Oh, come on, say amen. Let the praise team have a rehearsal. You can't find nobody in the praise team. Not this church. (laughs) Let the pastor say we all need to go into prayer. There's something going on right now. The devil is attacking us. We got to run out and find you because you're nowhere to be found. Let there be a gaping hole in a ministry and you have the gifts and the talents to serve there. We got to beg you and drag you kicking and screaming to serve in God's church after all that God has done for you. I knew it was going to be kind of quiet. People just come to church because they've been coming. No need to get involved here. No need to do anything. No need to ask the pastor, pastor, how can you utilize my services? Where where are the people that need my resources and my help? Some of you think that some of the ministries in the church are beneath you. And for all your degrees and for all your learning, you don't know how to serve the people of God? Let it be go Sabbath. Can I do it, please? Let it be go Sabbath and the call is made. We just want people to go out with us today to bless people. We want to ask you to go over there with Sister Lovey Jackson and just call people with your smartphone. You don't even have to go anywhere in the hot sun. Take a book to your neighbors around the corner from you or even from people in in your family. People will walk out of the church as if they have something to do. You don't have anything to do. It's the Sabbath day. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. 
I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Truth is, the people of God are not as committed as they put on. Certainly not as committed as Paul was. To warrant 40 plus deadly assassins to take him out. And because we are not committed, none of us pose any type of threat to the devil. You're not a threat, brothers and sisters. Majority of us are not. In fact, the devil is actually much better leaving you by yourself. He don't even have to do much anymore. You being uncommitted and still claiming that the devil is attacking your life can only be likened to this. An elite group of robbers and thieves that is coming up with a grand scheme to rob a bank vault that they know is empty. In other words, there is nothing of value in you because you are not committed that the devil wants. But pastor, I do have value. I know what you're saying. Pastor Coxham, I have a soul. God has created me. I do have value. I'm a child of God. Yes, you are. But the misconception is that the devil has to attack us in order to cause us to be lost. No, 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 no. In fact, the devil really only has two schemes that he probably regularly uses with church people. And that is A, to convince you to work for your salvation. If you do that, you're going to be lost anyway. Or convince you to come into the church and serve nowhere and really not surrender all and really not be converted and you'll be lost anyhow. (laughs) I read some more this week. I read about the U.S. military operations. So interesting, man. (laughs) When uh, the U.S. military goes into a country, say Afghanistan, they always have what they call HVTs, which are high-value targets. So in Afghanistan a few years ago, that would have been Osama bin Laden or the high-ranking officials in the al-Qaeda regime. And when these soldiers, these Navy SEALs, whoever they are, go over the waters across the pond and go into these neighboring countries, when they see a high-value target, they radio back to U.S. headquarters and say, hey, what's the move? The U.S. headquarters will radio back to them, either kill them or drag them back to you to the U.S. to be charged. I feel like sometimes... The devil sends demons and imps into the church. But the demons and imps radio back, there are no high-value targets here. Let's move on. There's nothing here that we, we need to be worried about. There's nobody in the building that poses any imminent threat to what we are doing. 
devil just radios back, all right, then pack it all up, come on home. I believe that there are whole churches across North America, Adventist churches included, where there is not one high-value target in the pews. There's nobody who really believes the word of God. There's nobody who's really applying the word of God to their lives. There's nobody who's really taking God at his word. And for that reason and many more, the devil is not threatened by us. <laughs> Part of the problem probably is, is that we go hard for everything in life except God. Okay, I'm going to help you now. We go hard for everything in life except God. On your job, you will work your behind to the bone for your supervisor. In school, you will study all night long to get the grade that you want, to make the money that you want when you come out. You will scheme and plot and backbite to get what you want. Some people will even go so far as to get cosmetic surgery to get the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the husband that they want. Oh, come on, say amen. But when they come into the church, they shrivel up and shrink into nothingness. Where are they? We can't find them. People go hard in the world for everything except God. Now, 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 here's the thing. <laughs> oh, Father in heaven, please help me now. That's why Jesus said publicans and harlots will go into heaven before we do. Now, do you know why he said that? Jesus said that because publicans and harlots are prostitutes and pimps and drug dealers outside of these walls. They go hard for their craft. If I'm going to be a drug dealer, I'm going to be the best drug dealer out there. I'm going to make the most money I possibly can. I'm going to be rolling in the hood with a Bentley and a Rolls Royce. I'm going to go hard for what I want. But what usually happens is when these people outside of these walls gets converted, they come into the church and work twice as hard as you who have been here for 30 and 40 years. That's what happened in the life of Paul. Do you not remember homeboy was going hard killing Christians and destroying people and dragging babies and children and Christians out of their homes and killing them? And when God converted him, he went hard just in the opposite direction. Jesus said publicans and harlots going to go in before you do. Because they will go hard for this thing. They, when they get converted, they actually believe what they have heard. And we have people in the church today who have heard every message ten times over. In the course of five years, you've pretty much heard it all, brothers and sisters, but have made no real change in their lives. 
We have people who, okay, let me put it this way. We even have people who know right now they should be baptized believers in the church, but have not made their stand yet. We have people that have heard the word a thousand times, a thousand different ways, but are waiting for the right moment and for lettering in the sky to walk down here and give their life to Christ. Brothers and sisters, the scariest text in the Bible to me is that the word says about Samson, he did not know that the spirit of God had left him. And the Spirit of God will not plead with you forever. If you are in the church, you ought to be committed to the church and certainly committed to God. But we don't have people like that. We don't have people that are committed to anything, certainly not the building fund. May as well say it. I'm leaving anyway, right? People that serve nowhere just take up space in the church for the publicans and harlots who want to come in. Stop taking up space. Let other people get saved if you just going to stay here and sit here. And you know, you know what's so funny? It's the people that are the least committed that have the most to say against the church. People who give nothing and return nothing and do not give their talents for nothing. Who have the most to say. Always casting their vote. First ones at the business meeting and board meeting. But you ain't committed to nothing. My Bible tells me that the apostle Paul, (laughs) oh God, was so committed to God, so devoted to the mission, 40 plus deadly assassins made a blood oath amongst themselves. Either we going to die or Paul is going to die. And here's the point of the whole message. Maybe you can go to sleep after I say this. I don't know. If you are not on the devil's hit list, you're probably not on God's it list. All right, no, 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 no. Okay, okay, okay. Many of you think, (laughs) help me, Lord, you are being attacked by the devil. But the truth is, sometimes you are going through a series of unfortunate events because of your own choices. And you think right now that you are on the devil's top ten most wanted list. Your name ain't on the list at all. Devil's not coming to your house with a warrant at all. Wants nothing to do with you. He knows that as long as you're in the church and as long as you stay uncommitted, you ain't going to be saved no way. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I'm not saying today that you are to invite the devil into your life. Hear me, that's not what I'm saying. I am not saying that You have to request trouble in order to be close to God. 
But what I am saying is that anybody who lives godly will suffer persecution. Anybody who really loves God and is committed to him will go through so much hell, they will cry out to God more and more. (laughs) Jesus said publicans and harlots will go into heaven before you do. Because when they come in, they will make a decided change on their lives. But you will be here for the rest of your life and never change. You will hear every sermon that Myron and I can come up with at the sacred desk while we're up late at night praying and laboring on behalf of your souls and our souls. You will miss the point of every single sermon that we preach because you will hear it and clap your hands. You will hear it and stomp your feet, but you will not apply it to your life. And the only reason I say it is because I actually care. And I don't need you to tell me good job after I finish the sermon. Or say amen. I said say amen. I don't need you to pat me on the back. I really don't need accolades or kudos or any amount of affirmation. What I care about is that God is going to hold me and Myron accountable for the stuff we do not tell you. I don't want you to have a journal or a notebook full of notes from the sermons we preach and you're still not saved. I want you to know God for yourself. I want you to know how to pray to God and get a prayer through. I want you to be able to go in God's word and show people what you believe with fear and trembling. I want you to see God's hand all over your life. I want you to know God for yourself. If you do not, this is an exercise in futility. Wasting my time, wasting Myron's time, and you're wasting your time. We need God. Not more church. And it's very possible that you can have church and not have God. All right. People have been in church for years and have never changed. Never given their life to God. Pose no imminent threat to the devil at all. If you're not on the enemy's hit list, you're not probably on God's hit list at all. And here's the funny thing. We have so many people, man. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry. I got to preach what God gives me. (laughs) Who will claim the promises of God, but are not committed to him. You do know that doesn't work, right? Okay, all right, right, all right. The word of God says that every promise in Scripture is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That means in order for the promise to be even effectual in your life or for you to even recognize that God is working, you got to in some way, shape, or form commit or believe to Jesus Christ. So many people today will claim, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you ain't got Christ. I know the question you're asking me now. You're saying, Pastor, well, what happened to the Apostle Paul? 
deadly assassins came to murder him. What happened to him? Did they kill him? Did they take him out? Were they able to succeed? Here's what the word of God tells us. Starting at verse 12 again. Listen to it. Listen to it, brothers and sisters. I'm done. I'm done right here. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed him. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him even before he gets here. So catch the scene. Here's what's happening. Paul is already arraigned. He's already in chains. As I told you before, they still consider him a threat and they want to take him out. Well, they now go to the chief priests and to the rulers of the law at that time. And they say, listen, just drum up some crazy charge to get Paul in court. And while he is there, we, 40 plus of us, will find a way to assassinate him. Well, the word tells us that Paul's nephew, the son of his sister, somehow in some way finds out about the plot. This stuff is better than scandal, man. You can't, you, 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 you can't make this stuff up. Uh, his, his sister's son finds out about the plot, sneaks into the barracks, into the prison where Paul is, and tells him what's about to happen. But Paul is not deterred. Paul is not concerned at all. Paul is not upset. He says, son, calm down. What I want you to do, you just go to the centurion and tell him the story. Boy goes to the centurion, tells the brother what they are trying to do to Paul. The centurion says, okay, come with me. Takes him to the Roman commander. Remember, the Romans don't even really care for the Jews at all. They're ruling over them. Tells him what's going to happen to Paul and what these Sicarii, 40 plus of them, are planning. Then... Here's what happens. Verse 23, the commander, then he called his two centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. Go to Caesarea at nine tonight and provide horses for Paul. Understand, brothers and sisters, what's going on. At first, Paul is threatened with 40 plus deadly assassins. But because Paul is committed to God and he is not worried about anything, God works that thing out. And instead of 40 plus assassins killing him, he gets an armed escort of 470 trained soldiers of the Roman rank that escorts him into safety. The Bible tells us many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth us out of them all. But if you're not committed on the front end, God has no obligation to bring you out on the back end. Don't you come up in here and claim no promise if you ain't willing to give up nothing for God. God will take care of you as long as you're willing to commit to him. God will bring you out every single time as long as you're willing to give up everything that you got. Paul's in prison. Forty plus men want to take him out. 
That's too much for any of us to handle. And God counters the attack of the enemy with 470 men who escort him out of prison, out of the city, and into safety. How many of you know that when you really trust God, Word of God says that the angel of the Lord encampeth around those that fear him or respect him or honor him or give their life to him or who are committed to him or who revere him. God protects his people, but you got to get on his side first. You can't just be milling around in the church every single Sabbath. You just can't come and shout your hands, lift your hands and shout at the appropriate times. You've got to be willing to commit to this thing and say to yourself, for God, I will live. And for God, I will die. God will bring you out if you're willing to commit to him. I just wonder today if I've got anybody in the house whom God has already brought you out. And you already know you should be ten times more committed to him right now. For all he's done for you in your life. If you believe God has blessed you. God wants to save you. God wants a relationship with you. And you want to be more committed from this day forth. You stand to your feet right now and don't do it because I ask. Don't shame God. Don't insult him today. If you really mean it, stand to your feet and make it known. Make it known before God. God, I've got talents and gifts. Went to school all these years and it was you who brought me through. So I'm going to turn back over to you. Everything that you've given to me, Lord, I'm available to you. Use me as you see fit. <laughs> Majority of us in the church are not posing no threat to the enemy at all. Oh, he is not concerned about us. He knows that either we're going to work ourselves out of salvation <laughs> or you're going to stay up in the church all these years and never change. So here it is. Here's the appeal. Simple. If you want to be more committed to God, you recognize after the words that I've just, the words that God has spoken. I'm going to be bold today. You want to say, Pastor Myron, Pastor John, I want to commit myself full time to ministry. I want to give myself to God. I want to bless God in proportion to how much he has blessed me. I want you to come out of your seat right now and make your way down here. We just want to pray. That's all we want to do. That's all we want to do. You want to say, I want to be more committed. 